Actor-producer, writer, and director Joe Mantegna began his career on the stage with the 1969 musical Hair. He later earned a Tony Award for portraying Richard Roma in the first American production of David Mamet's play Glengarry Glen Ross, the first of many collaborations with Mamet. Mantegna has appeared in Three Amigos, The Godfather Part Three, Forget Paris, Up Close and Personal, and many other films. And for 13 years as of 2020, he starred in the CBS TV series Criminal Minds as FBI Supervisory Special Agent David Rossi. Since 1991, he's had a recurring role in The Simpsons as mob boss Fat Tony. He earned Emmy Award nominations for three miniseries, The Last Dawn, The Rat Pack, and The Starter Wife. He's executive produced and directed for various films and TV movies, including Corduroy, Hoods, and Lakeville. Joe Montaigne, welcome to the creative process. Thank you. I'm thinking about what everything that's happening at the moment. It maybe feels like the opposite of the creative process. You've just come to an end of 13 years uh, on Criminal Minds and um, incredible run. I'm sure you might have been thinking, let's let's do some theater. <laughs> let's. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure what I want to do next. I mean, uh -huh. it was it was a great. Yeah, I I, I certainly enjoyed doing that project. I love the people, and I, and I just enjoyed the whole experience. Yeah. Um, but my whole career has been, I've been doing this, for, I realized my 51st year wow. as a professional actor, so I've been doing this a long time. And so part of the excitement is the unknown, not knowing really what the okay. next thing might be. Uh, I didn't know I was going to do that. The day before, I got a phone call asking, would I be interested in doing that show? So... So part of it, I'm not a planner in the sense of like I'm going to plan out every aspect of my life. I used to sometimes wait and see, you know, what what's out there, what 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 the universe is going to put in front of me, and see what happens. Yeah, and I only mention that because it's a it's, it's a strange times, and there's like dramas happening everywhere, and this, and I I I have a particular sympathy for my friends who are actors or dancers who are really this uh, collaborative process. Um, and uh, for me, it's okay because I'm a painter. I write a bit, and I can go indoor. This is almost like you know your writer friends. It's like that's what I do all the time. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you have been reflecting on the dramas going on around you and observing. It's just strange. Yeah, you can't help but do that. I mean, I think that's just you know this is this is a unique experience when you think about it because it's a drama that the whole world is you know witnessing in you know. Not just isolated to a city, a city or a state or a country; it's, it's worldwide. So um, that makes it very, very unique. And I'm thinking also, if I want to bring in uh, your activism as well, because you are very strong, and you've you know received uh, you know recognitions for your activism on the part of autism. And I just think a lot of us have been, which is a um, is something that has uh, affected your family. And I think that's something that we've been reflecting on all of us, the importance relating to autism, the importance of touch, the importance of um, community, and the importance of, and this is something we're deprived of now. Yeah. No, it, it, it is. It, 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 and it, does, it, it is a fact. But it's, it, unfortunately, it's become a new normal, at least for now. And uh, all I can hope is that it gives us an appreciation for the things we have to, to kind of hopefully temporarily give up. And so what it will do is we'll kind of define where we go from here. 
and uh, if we can learn from it and, and push forward, then we will at least have used what was um, obviously a, not a, a, a happy moment in the history of the world, but you know benefit from the you know, the, the aspects of it. I mean, you know, even even world you know we've had great world wars over the last half century, and even after that. It was a terrible time of destruction, and especially you talk, talking about, you know, you're talking from Europe. I don't have to explain to you what Europe went through back in the 20th century. But uh, but we moved past it, and, and things got better, and things improved, and we learned a lot from it. And so there were benefits from the catastrophe in a way. So all I can say is that I, you know, I hope a similar thing can happen here. I really noticed that too. I mean, because we've been discussing this, um, the people are often turning to the arts, and they can't. But in in some ways, it's diminished in terms of like I was just uh, speaking to Jane Alexander, who had been the chairman of the um, National Endowment for the Arts, and we're always at the situation where the arts aren't funded or. Yes, we want to entertain ourselves, but we feel like, oh, well, let's not push our children into that because what are the use of the arts, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of what happens. Is all it's like it, it, people take it lightly because sometimes they think of the arts as just like, well, it's just that the that's a luxury. It's a little frivolous. It's, you know, it's a movie business. It's the theater. It's not math and science and physics and all the medicine and it's not all the things that keep us alive supposedly mm-hmm. but when you think about it i mean the arts there's you know that joke about what the oldest profession is i've always said that you know talking about you know, supposedly you know the sex trade is the oldest profession yeah. but i think the arts are probably the oldest profession that might have been the second oldest profession and they, they did it outside the theater that the cavemen would do yeah. You know, perform their little skits or write drawings on the walls and stuff like that. So the expression of art is kind of almost like the old, outside of just the basic instincts of eating and sleeping and all that. It's like a natural expression of what people do. They've been doing it since the Stone Age, you know, I'm sure. So it's part of our psyche. It's, It's what separates us from, you know, animal kingdom and plants and everything else. So we have the capability to kind of, you know, express ourselves through the arts, whether it's music or dance or theater or acting or art and all that. So it's it's a it's of massive importance, but I think sometimes we don't we don't appreciate it until we've been kind of had to uh, you know eliminate it somewhat or or be deprived of it. Uh, but everybody, you know, it, it, everybody embraces it. I mean, obviously, we, we, we have, you know, these great museums and theaters and, and the cinema and, and, and music. It's, it's all, it's all, it's all part of what makes, you know, humans what they are. I think so, and I think so. That's one of the the positive things I think that I've seen how much people are appreciating it for, like holding on to the, their sanity in these times, that they're really right. turning, yeah. Uh, otherwise, I maybe we'll be. Ter- the other things I noticed that people are doing well in America, people are buying guns. So if that's the other option, you know, yeah, let well, us. I mean, people, you know, fear, you know, fear drives people to do all kinds of things, and it's like, uh, well, you know, that's okay too. I mean, it's just always been kind of a almost a Western kind of 
meaning of the old West, we're real. Yeah. We've always had that almost cowboy kind of uh, background in this country, and, and, and in a way that's I don't think of it as totally a bad thing either. It's kind of what makes us this, this country somewhat unique. But that's the personality of America. It's interesting. It is part of the mythology. And so if going back to, because I, I want to walk through your different roles from your, from stage to like, we're just going back most recently on Criminal Minds. So you've um, played, um, I guess, maybe an iteration of this, I don't want to say mythology because uh, David Rossi was based on a real character. Tell us about the inception of that role and the layers you added to it over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, when I was first asked to do the role, uh, and I sat down with the producer, Ed Bernero, and he explained to me, he said, well, what do you have in mind? You know, what, what, what do you see for this character? And I had learned early on uh, that when given a character, especially in a television series, where you may be doing it for an extended period of time, which in this case really didn't work out that way, it's good to try to incorporate a lot of aspects of who you are. Uh, into it, because then it makes it easier to draw on aspects of yourself and incorporate that into the character. So, when, so in, in creating the role of David Rossi, I purposely kind of thought I'm going to use a lot of aspects of who Joe Montaigne are, and, and so I, that's why it was important to me to make him an Italian American and to give him certain qualities that maybe I would appreciate, like the, the, the desire to, to cook foods and, and to appreciate. Uh, the, things of that culture, and, and, and just even aspects of that personality. And I actually even named the character after a, uh, a Los Angeles policeman who had been in the news years prior because he had he had to testify in the O.J. Simpson trial. And I remember we all, the country was glued to our television back then during that trial. And I remember when he woke, got up and had to testify, I was so impressed by him because he was the first one called up, and he did it with such kind of intelligence and authority and yet trying to be honest and fair and he was be trying, being totally beat up by the defense attorneys who were trying to blame the whole this, this whole crime on the police department and it really angered me in a way and I thought you know come on this is a trial a murder trial and they're trying to, to blame it all on the entire police department and this guy was having a way to represent them at least initially uh, and I said someday I'm going to name a character since he was an Italian-American, I said, I'm going to name it after him, just as, not just to honor him, to honor people in law enforcement and people in, 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 who are public servants in general, who sometimes it's somewhat of a thankless job and, mm-hmm. and, and get called upon. So all of that came into play when I, uh, you know, helped work on creating the character of David Ross in Criminal Minds. And, and I'm, I'm glad I made that choice, because like I said, over the 13 years I did it, uh, I was able to draw on a lot of aspects that I was familiar with. Whereas if I would let's say say to myself, "Oh, let's be funny and I'll, I'll just, let's just make him like a a guy from you know with a different background and something that I didn't know much of," which you can do in a movie because then you do that research and you have it, you get it, it's done and it's over. But if you do something for 13 years and do over maybe 300 episodes of it, it's nice to be able to draw on you know your own life experiences maybe and things you know things from your past that you can incorporate it. Okay. Yeah, so you like it to it, come, it comes close to you. 
in terms of like a physical courage and things or these are what aspects did you like to explore or the added res- layers of respect that you might have um, from from your research or for living this part for so many years right well I mean it, 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 it's easy enough to be able to see that when you're talking about emulating a person who is in a profession that may be called upon to give their life in the, in the performance of their job, that in itself makes it unique. So, I mean, here you're, you're portraying somebody, like in this case, law enforcement, who is maybe called upon uh, in a given day to be, you know, confronted to where it could cost them, if, if, not, bodily, if not their life, at least bodily injury. But it's another thing to, uh, you know, to pretend to do it. And it's another thing to actually do it. That's why I've been very defensive about how graphic our show was. Because a lot of times we would get some comments about, like, oh, wow, you're, uh, um, you know, that show is so, 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 so violent and so graphic and it's scary and doesn't it bother you to do that? And my answer was always no, because it would be disrespectful to the people who really do that job. And that's why I have such admiration for them. People, whether it's people in law enforcement, people in the military, people, uh, first responders, firemen, uh, you know, people who, like, have chosen, as I said, chosen as a profession to help their fellow man at the risk and peril of their own health and safety. So, you know, you don't have to do a ton of research to realize that that's, that's the game that you're in, you know, uh, and then from that point on. You just try to, you know, incorporate what you can to humanize it, make it part of who you are, and then to, to perform the duties that you're called upon to do, in my case, in a given script, as opposed to actually doing it in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important for us to face these things, because we don't live in a, in a perfect world. So as long as one's responsibility to realism is there, and... Um, I think it can only add to our respect and, and, and esteem. And um, you know, I, I think it's very important. This is another example of the importance of the arts. So I'm thinking you have a wonderful creative family there, and you've been um, fortunate throughout your career uh, to also collaborate with people from multiple times. I think, frankly, you're, you're linked in people's imaginations, of course, famously with um, David Mamet. Um, could you speak of some of your collaborations? Well, I mean, it's been very. I mean, you know, a lot of it was good, good timing. I mean, I, he and I were about two weeks apart in age. And we both grew up in Chicago, so it was fortuitous. It would be like it would be like going back to Shakespeare's time and finding out that this guy who lived around the corner from Shakespeare was an actor who he got to know and said, "Hey, you want to do my play?" And, and it worked out that way. So, in many ways, it was, the, it, it was like I say, it was that kind of fortuitous uh, occurrence of the two of us. Our careers somewhat corresponding. He was a struggling playwright in Chicago in the early 70s. I was, you know, an aspiring actor at the same time. And we kind of, you know, b- b- bounced into each other through the circumstances of him seeing me do a play somewhere and saying, you know, hey, I'd like you to do one of my plays someday. And me reading his stuff and thinking, wow, this guy's pretty good. And, and we developed this relationship, which led to, um, well, just a wonderful collaboration in the sense that I, I started by doing plays of his in Chicago, from there on to New York and Broadway, and, and then in, and doing films. And uh, so it's been a collaboration that we've been doing since 
like I say, since the early 70s. Oh. And it's a friendship, both social and professional, that I, I, I obviously cherish uh, greatly. And, uh, and, it, and it's, a, it's, it's thrilling to be able to call him as the only thing that closer makes him closer to me as a member of my peer group is that he's also that close to me as a friend. And that, that's, that's, that's great. I feel very blessed that that kind of occurred. Hopefully he feels, I would like to think he feels the same way. You know, we still are pretty much stay in touch and, and, uh, we can almost talk in shorthand. We kind of know each other pretty well. And, uh, it's been a great, uh, fortuitous collaboration, you know, for both of us. Well, I think you say that with great uh, humility, uh, and I don't know. Maybe this—it's this closeness that he hears you in his head, or something like. Because it seems like you're, the rhythms of, because his writing is very—you know—immediately like a, a David Mamet play, a David Mamet sentence, even right. But you, as I appreciate your interpretations, uh, uh, can make it just very uh, like natural and very like understated even if it on the line so it just it just seems very um it's not forced as it comes out <laughs> i don't think a lot of people can yeah. land a mammoth line that way well thank you well i think part of it is the fact that, that, that i've been fortunate enough to, to kind of he speaks the language i know I mean, yeah i mean it's almost like a colloquial kind of language unique maybe in some ways to chicago and maybe unique to urban background in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when I was growing up and studying to be an actor as a young man, I'd read plays that were most very often were based in New York City or you know, very a lot of a lot of the writers came out of the New York kind of uh, you know, writing school per se. And and while I could understand it and relate to it and, and can kind of being growing up in Chicago. It wasn't that difficult for me to somewhat decipher kind of, you know, the nuances of that. But when I read Mammoth, to me, it was almost like, yeah, I, I get it. It's like, this is like, like I said, it's, this is a language I understand. It felt very comfortable to me. And and so, uh, and I mean, I, I know he has told me that he has... He has written characters with my voice and his mind as he wrote them. And so, again, that, that, that how lucky for me that that's the case. And so it's no, uh, it would at least make sense that I, I would have a certain degree of comfort and familiarity to that kind of, whatever you want to call it, man and speak, or whatever it may be. And I know, because I know, I, I mean, I realize that when I hear some kinds of being done, in a way where they just don't quite understand the rhythm or whatever. And I, I get that. But, but yet, you know, act, talented actors get it. They'll get it. They'll, they'll read it. And they'll understand. Just like an actor who's, you know, a you know, British actor and come to England or come to America and, and be, you know, do a terrific job sounding like an American and doing the dialogue and all that. Because they, they, they do their research and they do their homework and they, 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 they get what, what they need to do. And by social, and, and you, American actors and And you've even directed his work. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, uh, the film uh, Lake Boat, which, which was one of his very early pieces, uh, I had the pleasure to direct that. And first as a play, and then we made a movie of it. And I really enjoyed being able to do that because it gave me a chance to, you know, explore that kind of material as a 
Archie that it's worked out that way. That he's the writer that I wound up hooking up with. <laughs> no, that's so great. So, in terms of directing, when you approach a project, um, what what do you enjoy about that process, being on the other side of it, and what do you feel that you can uh, contribute to it as an actor who is, you know, maybe approach some of those challenges? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a different kind of enjoyment, that's for sure. I mean, if you equate it to being in the military, let's say, when you're an actor, you're a soldier, and you're out there doing the best you can to perform the particular job you've been assigned to do within the framework of the whole picture. When you're the director, you're the general. You're leading the entire army. And now you're responsible for every person, everything that's done, what what you're wearing, where you're going, how to get there, every aspect of it. So it's a whole different responsibility. And uh, it's a much greater responsibility because you know you're responsible not just for your own performance, you're responsible for everybody's performance and the whole thing as a whole. You come to a point where you either, I think you either feel you can do that and you accept that challenge or you don't. You know? Like some people, I know a lot of wonderful, great actors have no desire to direct because they say to themselves, you know what, I'm very content in this world and this is as much responsibility I feel comfortable taking on and that's great. I understand that. And uh, I may have even felt that way myself early on. But I think as I got, the more I did and the more I got familiar both in theater and in film and in television, you come to a, a, a thing where you come to a, a crossroads in a way where it's put to you. Let's say you get that opportunity and you say, hey, you have the opportunity to do this, to direct this. Are you, are you up for it? And if you can answer that by saying, you know what, I think I am. I think I'm willing to give this a shot. Then you probably are ready. Yeah, it's interesting. Some want to be so much in their character, not to see from the outside. Because I just did an interview with someone who had told me that he'd never seen anything he'd ever done. And I always thought, wow, could he, how is that? I mean, I would be curious. I could yeah, I, I, I can somewhat relate to it. I mean, there yeah. are things I've done that I've never seen. I mean, I've mm-hmm. done movies that I've never seen, especially some of the films I've done in Europe. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's a long lag time and it gets released out there first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, especially when I was doing the TV series, I think it was important to always kind of be aware of what you're doing because you're going to be continuing to do it. And you want to yeah. make sure you're kind of portraying things and things are moving in the right direction. And of course, when you're the director, you have to always be attuned to what, 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 what you're seeing because you're, you, you did it, you created it, and you're going to be responsible for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine balancing the two disciplines or people who are acting, you know, huge roles in, in uh, a film that they're directing and how they maintain the two sides of them, the objectivity, you know? Yeah, it's actually easy. The, the more you're at it, the easier it gets. Because even when I was doing Criminal Minds, I wound up directing I think, yeah. nine episodes from that show. And... Uh, it wasn't as hard as it looked to, you know, to be in it and also direct it. Because, in essence, you, of course, I waited. I mean, I waited, I think, until I'd been in the show about six, seven years before I started directing. So, so that I came in with a strong familiarity of what the process was, who I was, and who the character was. So it's just a matter of kind of plugging yourself into a, a framework that you're already very familiar with. 
I'm Gabriela Garcia Salfi, a student at American University majoring in communications and minoring in international relations. Here at The Creative Process, I'm the Social Justice and Community Initiatives podcaster. And out of all these aspects, I am also a proud Italian American. When Joe Mantegna spoke on how he incorporates aspects of himself into a role he's playing for an extended period of time, it not only reminds me of how art and the psyche naturally come together to produce a great work, but also how Italians always find a way to celebrate their identity. Many other nationalities around the world are known for their pride, like Puerto Ricans and the Irish, and you often see these countries incorporating their identity in every aspect of their being also, as they should. Italians are an expressive people, so it makes sense that we often find ourselves involved with the arts. In the role of Special Agent David Rossi, for moments throughout Criminal Minds, the line blurs between the actor and the role. And this blur is what I think brings a piece of work to life. The beauty of the Italian-American experience is how the importance of tradition has made its way across the Atlantic Ocean and has stayed as important throughout generations. The importance of family is one of these sacred qualities that is still alive today. And to see Joe Mantegna's activism for autism is to see the strength of family. In my own works, I find it impossible, almost against nature in a way, to leave my identity out of the process. As Joe Mantegna explains, the more you play a role, the better you connect with it. And if we tie pieces of our own being and knot them together with pieces of the art we create, it only makes the connection to ourselves stronger. This is especially interesting during the pandemic because, like Mia said, more and more people are turning to art to fill their time in quarantine. The structures and institutions that people operated in before the pandemic have now been transformed. More and more people are realizing how difficult it is to function in a system that only values your output. And like Joe Mantegna jokes, art is probably one of the first, if not the first, professions that humans have ever worked in. Hopefully this incline to create and explore lasts beyond quarantine and we choose to prioritize connection. I think no matter our background, we can always turn to the arts and find our roots somehow. I'll leave you with this. To know your roots is to know yourself. interested in what and I'm sorry for I know this some of these are the questions but you know they're for students uh you know really because they're they're starting on their path as in the arts so you know what made you fall in love with acting you know that I've got to be a part of this yeah I, I think well for me it was and this is not a unique story it, it, it hit me like a lightning bolt really mm-hmm. I uh I had I wasn't brought up in in, in that world, I had nothing to point to to give me an inclination to become an actor. Otherwise, I, I couldn't come from an acting family. I didn't go to the theater. Mm-hmm. I, it, was, it was a very unknown world to me. But what happened is when I was a, a high school age, I was I think a junior in high school, I, 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 of course, I went to the movies like everybody did. And I remember being fascinated with the movie Western Story. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I saw it numerous times because I just the music, the act, the, the, what it was about. It was about urban, you know, teenagers, the urban setting, and that's what I was living. Uh-huh. And I was just so fascinated by that movie. And then I remember being in high school, and I remember they had signs up at the high school saying we're having auditions for the play West Side Story. I didn't even know it was a play. Uh-huh. And I was like, 
then I thought, gee, this might be exciting. I mean, I love the movie so much. Maybe I can get a part playing one of the guys. Or... Uh-huh. So I, I went and got the album and listened to it, learned a song, and, and decided I'm going to go audition for this because it might uh-huh. be fun. Because I was, I like, you know, I was into high school athletics, but I wasn't like a standout in any particular area of it. So I really had nothing other thing that was like driving me, you know, that I was obsessed with. So I remember going to that audition. And all I could say is I did the audition, and I did not get cast. Oh. But the audition went, and a part of it was due to circumstances. I was I was small for my age. I was that's another story where my parents put me in school a year before I should have been because my mother needed to go back to work, so they oh. changed my birth certificate. <laughs> so I was actually a year I was a year ahead of where I should have been. Anyway, so at the audition, when I did that audition and I finished my audition, and I I. I, you, I heard a smattering of applause coming from the, the darkness of the audience. And all the audience was with other students about the audition and a couple of the teachers. I, something hit me that I said to myself, oh my God, I, I really want to do this. I want this more than I could ever imagine. Which scared me in a way because I thought I had never done a play before in my life or anything. I hadn't really gone to the theater hardly at all. I guess I one play in my life at that point. But yet, now all of a sudden, after doing this audition, I thought, this is all I want to do. Wow. And then when I wasn't cast, I was like devastated. And I thought, wow, this is strange. I'm devastated over something that I didn't even really know existed, the drama department and all this. But I, I pursued it from that point on. I went to the drama teacher at the school and said, you know, I have a real interest in this. And he said, great, I remember your audition. Um, why don't you come into my drama class? And before long... I, 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 I was actually doing very well and, and started to really excel to the point where I was doing the lead roles in high school. Mm-hmm. And in which I stayed and did two years at the junior college, which was at the same facility. And that just set me off on that path. So all I can say is, I, I look back on it, my, my, my drive, that, that fire that burned in me that night that I did that audition never went out. Mm-hmm. I still have it. And it, had, it never got any, even any stronger or weaker. It's the uh-huh. same. I just kept at it. Uh-huh. I do it at a much higher level now, and I've been very successful at it professionally. But I don't enjoy it anymore than I did when I did it in high school. Uh-huh. Uh, the enjoyment factor is the same. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I think if a person can say that to themselves, that in other words, I'll do it anyway because I like doing it, uh-huh. then whether you succeed at it or not, is almost secondary because you're doing it because you have to do it. It becomes a passion. And to me, that's the ultimate of being passionate about an art. And I feel lucky to be able to say that. I think it's so important because I think, you know, because I'm dealing a lot with young people and so often the advice that they're receiving is, well, oh, you may love this, but you you really should do this. <laughs> and, but really, you know, if they can follow their heart, whether they get huge financial success, but if they get a success on an emotional level, where they find, have a community. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. Like I, I was trying to tell it to students, especially I say, you know, I said there's no guarantee you're going to get to where you maybe aspire to get to. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're enjoying the ride, then it really doesn't matter. You have mm-hmm. to always enjoy the ride. It's all about it's all about the journey. It really is. I mean, in other words, if all you ever did was fly in an airplane from let's say Los Angeles to New York, mm. and you never 
saw what was between those two cities, you would never, you would never understand America. Yeah. The same thing with the world. I mean, so in other words, you, at some point, if you really want to experience it all, you have to make the journey and enjoy the trip. And mm -hmm. some of it's not always going to be pleasant, and some of it may be very boring, and some of it may be disappointing. But you know, as long as you're enjoying the ride and realizing you're getting something out of it, that's that's what a life is about. So yeah, like just what you said, if you follow your heart, your heart. Uh, in the end, to what level you reach in terms of if you're going to base it on monetary success, that's one way of keeping score, but it's not really the best way to keep score. I mean, if you're looking for a job where you're going to make a lot of money, you're better off trying something else. Mm -hmm. The arts isn't necessarily guaranteed you know, to the road to success. You know. Well, you know yourself. But you know yourself, the expansion in television. There's a lot of jobs, actually, when you think about, you know, there's, and then in, to be in the crew or to be in, there's so, there is a lot. Um, so there's a lot of creative roles out there, I believe. I oh, sure. It's a huge industry. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A lot of aspects to it. A lot of people, that's what happens. People, even like Criminal Minds, we had this one guy who was, who was uh, the prop master, mm -hmm. uh, one of the prop guys. And he started out as a child actor. He did it uh -huh. for a long time. He was very successful. But he learned at one point that, you know, this isn't what I, I, I really want to do. It yeah. gravitated into another aspect of the business and became, you know, great as, as this property guy. Mm -hmm. That was his passion. Yeah. Well, I find that there's certainly so many young people who are driven to really curious about the arts. And it's quite strange because about half of the students involved in our project they're like from STEM. They're studying computer science or law. And I'm kind of wondering why they're coming to us. Because it's like, this is, well, we have a little bit of STEM, but it's like, why are you coming? It's just, well, I really, you know, love music. I love acting. And I and I had to leave that behind. So it's a way of them exploring that. So, so right. you know. Well, I get yeah. that. At the end of the day, they may have to make a decision as to, you know, is it, will it always be a sideline for them or, or do they realize now? They want to give up this other thing and pursue that full time. I mean, those are things that people come to conclusions about. Sure. Can you imagine there was another role for you? Is there another place for you that, God forbid, you couldn't have, didn't have the chance to pursue it? You know, there was all these those fantasy roles that would have been great. I mean, I always thought, God, I would have loved to have been a professional golfer or mm -hmm. a professional baseball player, or you know, sometimes I fantasize being a as I was a little kid, I wanted to be a policeman. Uh -huh. uh, it was a time I thought maybe it would be fun to be a forest ranger that lived that kind of isolated, kind of uh, natural, you know, existence. But those are all kind of things, fantasies that you have as a young person. And you think, that would be cool. I, I was a photographer for a long time. That's how uh -huh. I made money when I was struggling as an actor. Uh -huh. And I did well at it. And I took pictures of uh, other actors. You know. uh -huh. uh, and I developed, because it, it was an art form in itself to capture an image of somebody in mm -hmm. the best possible way. And I enjoyed doing it because it was somewhat of an art. When I was in a band in the 60s. Chicago, years, were you related to Chicago? Well, the band Chicago, I didn't never play within their band, but I mm -hmm. played along with them to the point where we were still very close. Mm -hmm. And my band was called the Apocryphals. Mm -hmm. And we would play at the same venues they did, and, and I got to know them very well. And, and actually, they even had me come up and sing a song with them about five years ago here when they were performing out here in Los Angeles, kind mm -hmm. of for old time's sake. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I did dabble in other aspects. You know, it wasn't always about being an actor. Um, 
and, and, I, and I enjoyed it. And, I, and, and yes, I think if I hadn't been, had the success I had uh, as an actor, um, you know, I would have done something. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm practical in that sense that I, because I didn't grow up in a, in a protected environment or in a luxurious environment. My dad was disabled most of his life. Mm-hmm. My mother had to work, you know, wrapping packages for Sears Roebuck for 25 years. So I knew what it was, you know, I knew you had to go to work to, to, um, to survive. Yeah. And, uh, so I was, I was, I started out as a paper boy when I was like, you know, I think I was about 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I always worked my whole life. So that never scared me. And, and so I, I would have gravitated towards something that I would have enjoyed, I think. Speak a little bit about your Italian connections, where your family comes from, where the things that they passed along, the, the, their advice. Uh, you yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm Italian on both sides. And, and, and luckily, I, I was able to, in 1975, I was able to, I was with a theater company out of Chicago, and we were touring Europe. And I figured this was a good opportunity to visit relatives that I knew I had never met, but I knew we had in Italy. Oh. And that opened up a whole world to me. Because um, my wife and I, we got married that same year, and we went to Italy and we visited those relatives. And to this day, I'm very close to many of my relatives in Italy. And uh, it's great. It was kind of like, you know, the Alex Haley book, Roots, mm-hmm. of, being, of finding out partly, you know, who you are, what, you, what your roots are, where you come from, why you, why you are the person you are in many ways, why you look the way you look, why you tend to have the personality somewhat that you have. Um, so my Italian roots were very kind of uh, are strong and very important to me, and helped define, uh, you know, part of who I am. Uh, even why I live in California, I think, because I realized after going to Italy, I realized, yeah, I, as much as I love Chicago, the climate there is never that conducive to my genetic makeup. You know, mm-hmm. I'm born to be to live in a Mediterranean climate, and so that's why I think I gravitated to California, where I, I enjoy living here. So. But it's also part of being an American, and I, I, I love the fact that I'm Italian, but I'm Italian-American uh, in the sense that, because that's what I like about our country, in the sense that we are this kind of conglomeration of people from so many other places. And it, for whatever reasons, our ancestors gravitated here because they just wanted something else, because maybe they, they weren't doing so well in the, their, their country, their origin. And so they came here. So we, 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 this is still somewhat of an experiment, the way this, this entire country. But it's, I, uh, I feel fortunate, feel blessed to be part of that, that experiment. But my Italian aspect, you know, roots of it, you know, give me those qualities, whatever they are, that make me who I am. Yeah, it's important. I think that some of these. Um, my stepfather is also Italian American, so we always have the big family gatherings, and I appreciate this sense of the importance of family. And every culture has a, a different emphasis, but it's, it's particular in, in Italy and in Italian Americans. And um, and some of these values we're forgetting over time. I think it's very important to have a sense of like history and family and tradition. You know. So I wanted, we talked a little bit about it, and I, I think I always like to give an opportunity to, you know, people have their activism causes, and if you wanted to discuss, because um, you've done quite, if you if you wish to. Yeah, well, just that, like, I, you know, my, I have two daughters, but in fact, my daughter's name is Mia, which uh-huh. you may have yes. 
but uh, but Mia uh, has autism, and so because of that, and she's 32 years old now. She does well, but she, she lives with us, and, and uh, but obviously for for that reason alone, it makes me sensitive to to, to people on the spectrum and that whole world because I'm, I'm, it's part of my life. And so I, I think when people are in not just my profession, but people are in a public profession in the sense that they have a a public, they're a public figure, or whereas they have a face. While I don't use it for politics, because I'm not a political person, I don't think my opinion about politics should influence anybody else's. You know, they, people should, you know, they, they should make those choices based on their own education and what they believe in. But if my my but if my public face can bring attention to certain causes that need support, in this case, like you know, let's say autism groups or and our military is another thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I try to do things for our veterans and stuff like that because I do, partly because the military is, is a non-political entity. They have to exist in order to, us to ensure that we can have the country that we live in to, 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 to secure the freedoms that we have, but they have to do it in a way that, you know, when they're needed, they're there to do that job. They do it in a non-political way, which does set America in many ways apart from Unfortunately, a lot of other countries, you know, people live under, you know, much stricter and much kind of organized and almost dictatorship kind of existence. So those are my kind of my, my hot buttons, you know, supporting the things that I believe in in, in this instance. And so if it's a good cause, and if by lending my my face to it, or, you know, recording a video or coming on or, or doing whatever it takes to cause bring attention to it, why not? It's the people who do the work 365 days a week, the people who aren't, you know, have any degree of pain, but are yet are working in the trenches for that cause. Those are the ones that deserve all the credit. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the clown at the head of the parade, you know, but it's the guys who are sweeping up behind the elephants that, uh-huh. that deserve all the credit. Yes, but it's important, and I think that in particular what you've done on um for increasing our understanding of autism has been significant, and I know that you've been um, recognized for that. So we should, and I, I'm so happy that um, awareness has grown um, in recent years. It was like mysterious, I imagine. At the, oh yeah. yeah, when my daughter was diagnosed back in, you know, it was like 1990, I think, when she was first diagnosed. Oh. Uh, it was kind of not, not a lot going on in terms of support and understanding, and you know, and education of it. Yeah, and it's it's nice. It, it's it's about celebrating difference and to realize that many of us can be, you know, somewhere along that spectrum without even realizing it. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You're some of the most intelligent people in the world. Like you, people say, "Oh, they're quirky." Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sensitive enough to know it. They're quirky, and they're also a little bit on the spectrum. And yeah. the quirkiness is working in a very positive way. For them. Exactly. You see, we see the gifts, and we have to see the whole person and respect that. I don't want to forget to speak about some of your roles, and I'm just looking at some behind you. Fat to- the Fat Tony from The Simpsons is behind. Oh yeah, I see I'm Ricky in my office. Yes. Because, uh, just, uh, if, you, if you look around this office, there's a collect. There's things from every aspect of my life. Random. Oh yeah, Fat Tony from The Simpsons. I got my, my chair back from Criminal Minds. I see behind me. 
Um, I see Ricky Jay there, who's no longer with us. Ricky Jay, yeah, no. Ricky Jay. That was, uh, I think that was from that was, uh, that was probably from a memorial service for him. Oh, right. But, we were uh, in House of Games. See, uh, I don't know how many different roles because he's another mammoth collaborator. Um, yeah, he did a bunch of the mammoth films with me. We did House of Games. We did Things Change, Homicide. Uh, he was in all of those movies. Red Belt. So uh, I did about at least three or four movies with Ricky. And and of course that one role, um, uh, Richard Roma is it's, it's maybe I don't know which of their roles that you because um, they're also different and also fascinating. But which yeah, of those? Ricky Roma and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah. I mean that that changed my life that role because that, that from that when that that play you know the fact that the play won the Pulitzer Prize I won the Tony Award for the role that that was a definitive career change for. In a way, for both Mamet and myself, it was mm-hmm. kind of a big year in '84 for both, both of us, and uh, it's led to opening up. Certainly, I, I've been an actor for 15 years already prior mm-hmm. to that professionally, but that role really took me into the next kind of mm-hmm. And uh, but that's sometimes the way it works. Yeah, and how did you unlock? Because that's such a challenging role, and it's one of the you know the iconic roles of the 20th century American plays. Um, how did you un- unlock it? I mean, you know, when you find a point where you can, ah, this is it. You know, because you're going along. Yeah, this. yeah, I understand. Well, you know what? I I feel that I didn't really start to unlock it until I'd done it for probably about six months. Wow. Which is a good thing because I think that's that's a testament to the quality of the piece. Mm. And I tell that to other actors. Like I, did, I directed a play recently. It's a one man show on Lenny Bruce called oh, yes. Lenny Bruce. That's been very successful. We've done it in Los Angeles, New York, and now Chicago. Um, and I told the actor who does it, Ronnie, who wrote and directed, who wrote it in the performance, and I directed it. I told him, I says, as good as he was, even on opening night in Los Angeles when mm. we first did it, which is well over one or two years ago. I said, you won't really feel in control of this character and this role until you probably 200 performances in there. Then you'll be able to say to yourself, wow, no, I really feel like I'm in a groove. And it came to me right around that time. I said, boy, man, you were so right about that. And that's what I learned even from like doing Glengarry, because I did it for a year on Broadway and I toured it for about six months. It was about six months into it that I really said to myself, wow, it's amazing how much more comfortable I feel, how I almost feel like, uh, it's almost like that, that there's that thing that says you have to do something 10,000 times before mm-hmm. you can master it. You know, it's almost part, part that kind of philosophy of you can work on something and get familiar with it and feel like, you know, okay, I've got this down, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. But if you're given the opportunity to continually do it over a longer period of time, then it becomes even more a part of you. You're able to incorporate part to aspects to it that you weren't even aware of when you first started. Mm-hmm. So that was the luxury of doing that role as long as I did it. And uh, I was you know, grateful that I was able to do that. So, I mean, part of it was just a, uh, a discovery. I'm glad I had that amount of time to do and would you say, um, in terms of your approach, I know some people like, you know, they, they find a c- costume or they find a look, but or you f- feel you're an inside out or an outside, it depends on the role. But. Oh, I am definitely an outside in kind uh-huh. of guy. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, for me, uh, I can base a character on a pair of shoes. You know what uh-huh. I mean? In other words, I, I, I look at the externals. What does he look like? What does the person sound like? What does he look like? What kind of hair uh-huh. cut does he have? What kind of 
of a limp. It would kind of close as you were. When I would, when I would do Glenn Gary the play, when I, every night I would put those costs up. It was important to me that it wasn't mm-hmm. just like a make-believe expensive suit that, you know, like, oh, from the audience to look like it's a $2,000 suit. No, it, mm-hmm. it really was a $2,000 suit. <laughs> I mean, some of the jewelry was fake, but, but I, but it was important to me that as I dressed and put that costume on, that it was like a matador. Mm-hmm. You know, they put on with the, you know, the, 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 the suit of lights. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're, 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 you're putting on all the accoutrements that help create who you are. Now, that's not saying that I don't also internalize and go into those aspects of, of character. But I'm not a method guy in the sense that it's all internal and that the external is not as important. I tend to be more, you know, from the outside working in and then you add all those different layers and you can look at yourself and say, okay, I think, yeah, this is who I think. This is the shell now of who this person is. Now I'm going to start planning the rest of it little by little. So speaking of about some teachers who are important for you, they could be collaborators too, like advise on things. They uh, yeah, or... well, I mean, it started at the beginning. I mean, I, I think back, his name was Jack Leckel and ran the drama department at Morton East High School in Cicero, Illinois, which is a place that who would have thought that that would be a, a place that, you know, you come out of and become successful in this business. But as it turned out, like when I did the play Hair, which was my mm-hmm. first professional play, a good percentage of the lead, leads from that play came out of that high school. Mm-hmm. In other words, that high school was, turned out to be a training ground for many people who went on to be successful in, the, wow. in our business. And so I'm forever grateful to the drama department of that Morton East High School, Cicero, Illinois. So, mm-hmm. which goes to show it doesn't matter. You can be in a small town anywhere in the world. And if you've got the right teaching staff, you've got the right teacher. You know, it could be one person, it could be the whole staff, one person, one, the head of, in this case, the head of the department influenced the whole staff. Uh, it can change your life. It could, could dictate your whole, your whole life. And it did that for me. And there were certainly others along the way. You know, the Goodman School of Trauma, uh, there were wonderful teachers there. It was a Dr. Bella Hitkin, who was from Russia, who was, was, was uh, a great teacher. And, uh, her, her father was part of the, you know, the great Russian theater movement, you know, back in the early 1900s. Um, and then just directors and people I've worked with along the way. You know, you just, by, by being, your peer group becomes your teachers in many ways too. You know, you learn from who you're working with and who you experience, you know, who you have an experience with. I've worked with some of the greatest directors and actors in the world and feel fortunate to have done that. And so I've certainly benefited from that. But that's why it's important who your peer group is. In other words, and you should pay attention to that. It doesn't matter what level you are. Like I said, kids I worked with in high school, you know, some of them went on to some great success. And so, or kids, people I worked with in, when I worked at the Organic Theater, a small theater out of Chicago, Dennis Franz, a wonderful actor, very successful actor, was part of that group. Ishak Taylor was another one out of that group. People from the group Steppenwolf. Oh, yeah. Well, great American actors like Gary Sinise and John Malkovich and Joan Allen, Laurie Metcalf. These are all people I worked with in Chicago, went on to great success. So, David Mamet, of course, perfect example. So, you never know who your peer group is going to become. So, you, you don't worry about that. You just gravitate toward the people who you feel comfortable with and you all hopefully all profit from the experience. Yeah, well, it is so important to surround yourself with excellence, I think. And so I guess, um, you know, finally closing it, uh, we're 
today's Earth Day, you know, uh, we're thinking a lot about yeah. the future as we're stuck indoors, yeah. um, the importance of community education. But as you think about that, you know, technology and the environment, all this this world we're living in and what we can do to make it, uh, imagine a better future, make the place. Uh, yeah. What can, what is. Well, yeah. I, I think all, what I try to live by is to try to, if you can say to yourself at the end of the day, that you've done nothing to bring any harm to the world and to mm-hmm. people, to, to the, even the, 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 the people you happen to meet during that day. And that maybe that if you can say to yourself that if, 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 if for God forbid the world ended for you today, could, could, would you be able to say, did the world, was the world better off that I lived or, or did it suffer in some way mm-hmm. that I lived? In other words, if you can say that maybe you made it the smallest contribution to move things forward, and all meant meaning that maybe you were just kind with other people or you were conscientious about, you know, whether it's the environment, whether it's about, uh, you know, taking care of people who are less fortunate or contributing to, to something that, uh, you know, worthwhile cause that's helpful for them. If you can at least do that, even on a small scale, you know, some people are able to do magnanimous things and change the world in big ways. Other people just do... You know, they walk down the street and they see a piece of uh, they see a piece of litter on the ground and they realize there's a trash can next to it. They, they bend down, they pick it up and throw it in the trash. Can. Mm-hmm. That's as significant as somebody who donated you know, hundred million dollars to uh, you know clean up the oceans. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's had that kind of mindset and everybody did those positive little things every day. You know, uh, and the world is a better place because you live because you were the part of. That's all. I, mean, I know that's kind of a big esoteric kind of a thing, but the older I get, the more I think it's like you know, the little things that count. And, mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's going to change the whole world, but you can certainly change your intermediate part. Of it. Sure, I, I think collectively. Well, you've certainly done a lot to to bring um, art into our lives, and so I want to thank you, Joe Montagna, for your lifetime commitment to the arts and bringing us characters of complexity, integrity, and emotional depth. For your parallel life as an activist, helping increase our compassion and understanding of autism, thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you, Mia. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Gabriela Garcia Astolfi. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. And Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info. For an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition, Traveling to Leading Universities, or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.